We are going to be starting a new series today, and we're going to be in a variety of different scriptures. So the one I picked to kind of kick us off is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So you guys, please stand as we read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Listen to God's word for God's people. Paul says this, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that for this purpose, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we thank you that you have given us not only your word, but you've also given us your Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascended to the Father, you sent the Spirit to illuminate the Word to us so we can understand it, that you would be the resident truth teacher in us through your Spirit. And Lord, we thank you for that. We look forward to this new series, Lord, on what it means to be the church. We are the church. Lord, you have a mission and a purpose for us. And so, Lord, as we, we get back to the foundations and the fundamentals of the church, Lord, I pray that each one of us would have eyes to see and ears to hear this morning on how you would have us interact as a church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, go ahead and be seated. Well, spring, I think, is finally here. Did anyone get sunburned this past weekend? Go ahead and raise your hand. A couple of you, great, great. You know how, also I know how spring is here? Major League Baseball has started, right? The baseball scene, uh, season has started about a month ago in April, and the Rockies are already out of the playoffs, looking forward to next year. All right? Amen. All right. Well, that's a long year. We've got we to be praying for those guys, praying for those guys. But again, um, actually, as we know, the, the season started, official game started in April, but the, the guys showed up in what's called spring training a couple months beforehand. Uh, that's when the season started for them as uh, Major League Baseball players as they start off in spring training. Spring training is all about getting the rust off from the off-season. It's all about getting back into the grooves, uh, going over the fundamentals on how to throw the ball, how to hit the ball, how to catch the ball. As one wise manager said, Skip, in the movie Bull Durham, he said this, baseball is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, and you catch the ball. And really, it is that simple. Those are the fundamentals of, of a baseball player. If you want to be a good baseball player, you go to the fundamentals on how to catch the ball, how to hit the ball, and how to throw the ball. And we know that fundamentals are, are vitally important in whatever aspect of work or play that you do. If you want to become good at something, if you want to master something, you have to master the fundamentals. Whether it's a baseball player, whether you're a gardener, right? You have to master the fundamentals of gardening. Uh, when you want to build a house, you have to master the fundamentals of what it takes to build a house. And for us coming off as a church of COVID-19 the past year and a half, it's, it's kind of turned the world upside down. It's actually, you know, wreaked some havoc in the church. And by God's grace, because of our mission and our philosophy, God has sustained the crossing. But, but when we come back in May 16th, um, there might be some rust that we need to shake off on what it means to be the church. And once our society kind of gets back to normal, how we can kind of operate like we did before this pandemic hit us. And so the, the pastors and I, we, we got together and it's like, after we just got done with studying the book of Hebrews, what, what, what does our church need to hear? What do we need to collectively need to rally around? And we thought, we need to rally around what it means to be the church. 
We, we might need to get back to the fundamentals. If we want to be a great church and an impactful church, we got to master the fundamentals of what it means to be a church, what we're called to. So we want to reorient ourselves on who we are as a church and what we're called to be as the church. And so we're going to take the month of May and go over a new topical series called The Church. The church. And, and today is going to be kind of like a, an air view, air, uh, 30,000 foot view as we look at the church in general. And then the next four weeks, we're going to kind of get boots on the ground and get more dialed in at a ground level, at a more intimate level with uh, the principles of what it means to become and who we are as a church. And so, uh, again, this is going to be a little different kind of series than we typically do. We typically go through books of the Bible here. We just finished up the book of Exodus. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of sad. I love the book of Exodus. It was a phenomenal book to see how the story of redemption has unfolded and how we are tied to even Moses and how the gospel was beginning there to to percolate and to even become clearer and clearer until we get to Christ and how everything in the Old Testament pointed to Christ and how we get impacted by the gospel even from the Old Testament. So I'm kind of sad as we start, but I'm also excited for this new study as we kind of look at what it means to be the church. And this will be more of a a systematic kind of Bible series as we look at the church. We won't be necessarily tethered to one text or one book of the Bible, but we'll be chasing the verses around to to understand what it means to be. And And again, I recognize that for many of us, this might be some review, but as we know, Scripture tells us to constantly review. God is constantly telling us to remember, remember, remember. And again, if we want to be the church and we want to, to be the church at a, in a way that, that is really impactful, we have to master the fundamentals. And so that's what we're going to do in the month of May. We're going to master the fundamentals of what it means to be a church. And the first thing we see is the makeup of the church, the makeup of the church. Another word you might use for makeup might be the the nature of the church. This is the question that this section wants to answer. The question is, what is the makeup or the nature or what is the essence of the church? What, What makes a Christian church a Christian church? And not only what makes it a Christian church, what makes it a true Christian church, not only by name, but in practice as well. Well, we know in Scripture that the primary word used for church is ecclesia. Ecclesia means called out one, but it means more than just called out. It means called out to something, called out to assemble, to gather. And in particular, when we're talking about the Christian church, we're talking about we are called out by Jesus through the message of the gospel. We are, we are, we are called out by the gospel. We are sinners that, that, that see our need for a Savior, repent and believe in the gospel. And now we are seen now as saints, and God now puts us into a community of believers called the church. We become part of this community called the church. Now, in the, in the gospels, the church is only used three times. In the gospel, the church is only used three times. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, you only see the word church used three times. Um, Jesus primarily in his teaching is focusing on something a little bit bigger than the church called the kingdom of God. He's mapping out what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And living in the kingdom of God, there is this thing called the church. So the church and the kingdom of God are two separate things. Kind of think of it as like the United States of America is the kingdom of God, and each little individual city is the church. And so in Jesus' view, he's focusing more in his beginning of his ministry on the kingdom of God and setting that tone. But he also talks about the church three times. He says this in Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail over it. And then we see the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. 
Most people believe this is when the church is born. And from there on, you don't hear so much about the kingdom of God because Jesus already established that. Now it becomes more focused on the local church and what it means to be a church. In fact, the word ecclesia is used 112 times, beginning with Acts and moving forward. In Acts 2.42 or 2.41, where the church started, it says this, So those who received the word and were baptized were added, added to the church, that day, about 3,000 souls. Remember, in the upper room in Acts chapter 1, there was the apostles and about 120 other disciples. And here we see in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches this massive, this great gospel sermon. And people say, we're cut to the heart. They repent and believe. They say, what must we do? And Peter says, well, you must repent and believe. And 3,000 get saved. And then we see the first word, first time churches actually used ecclesia in Acts 5.1. And a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So we see now from Acts on the central focus of the Bible, or one of the main threads is the church and what it means to be a church. And here we're looking at the makeup and the nature of a church. Wayne Grudem, one of the theologians, a great theologian that we use in our, it's our systematic theology class for our pastor's leadership institute. We use Wayne Grudem. He's actually used in several seminaries as well, his systematic theology book. He, he defines the church as this. The church is the community of all true believers for all time. The church is a community of all true believers for all time. So the first thing we, think of, we see about the church is the church is a community of believers and not a building. Now, if you guys have been around the crossing, you guys know this truth. You know that you are the church and this structure is not the church. This structure is where the church meets. This is where the church gathers in this structure. The, the people are the church. The people who have been called out by God through the gospel, who repent and believe in Jesus. We now become a community, and we are the church. The church is not a place you go to, but it's an identity of people who Jesus saves, and then saves us to a community, and then sends us out on mission. So that. Secondly, we see, understand that the church is invisible and visible. It's invisible and visible. So when we talk about true believers of all time, only God alone can read people's hearts. Only He knows who are all the true believers. We can have an idea, we can speculate by looking at people's fruit, but ultimately we have no idea who's in the kingdom and who's out of the kingdom. Who's in the church, who's not in the church. Only God does it. He knows every single believer since Genesis chapter 1 through the end whenever he comes back in Revelation. He is the one that knows. And so when we talk about the church, there's an aspect of the invisible church that only God knows who's a part of that church, the true church, every single believer who were in the past, in the Old Testament, such as like a Moses or an Abraham, right? He, he knows those. Those people looked forward by faith in the Messiah to come. So they're saved the same way we are in the New Testament. They were looking forward to Jesus, and they believed by faith that the Messiah was coming. So all those people, ever since Adam, God knows exactly who has been saved. And then in the New Testament, after Jesus dies, we, along with the apostles and others, look back to Jesus and we, again, enter and become the church the same way by believing by faith in Christ. And only God knows the invisible church. This deals with him. 2 Timothy 2.19 says this, the Lord knows who are his. Revelation 3.5 says, he who overcomes will be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before 
his angels. So this is the invisible church, the invisible church as God sees it, not as we see it. We see it as visible. So the church is invisible, yet it's visible. What we mean by the visible church is how we see it. It's as we, we're here, we look around, we say like, hey, here's the gathering of the church. We are the church. I'm looking at you guys, and, and I called Angela Fiedler, my wife, this morning, because they sit in the same spot with the brown hair, and I said, they're my wife. I'm like, oh, you're not my wife, <laughs> you know? But we look around, and we see, like we're, we, we see each other, and we say, like, yeah, we're a part of the church. We are a community of people who have been saved and united by the gospel. And we sit under King Jesus. That is the church. This is what unites us to gather consistently, not only here on Sunday mornings, but also in life groups and then in journey groups. But there's a massive difference between the visible church and the invisible church. And that massive difference is in the visible church, we have believers and non-believers here. We have Christians and non-Christians here. In the invisible church, it's just all Christians, all believers, all who repent and trust in Christ. God sees that clearly. But here, in all the churches, we we have believers here and non-believers here. And since, again, we can't read hearts, this is why every week we open up God's Word and teach through books of the Bible primarily. This is why every week when you come here, you hear the gospel because we we understand that not only does the gospel save us, that we might have some non-believers in here that need to hear the gospel for the first time, that they need to hear like they're sinners and the only way to be saved is by repenting of your sin and trusting in Christ. We understand that that message needs to go forth because we have people that might not believe in Jesus that are here this morning right now. And so we want to we welcome them. We're glad you're here. And we want to proclaim the gospel to you. We want to see you taste and see that the Lord is good, and that you come to faith in Jesus, because that is the only way you can come to faith. And so the gospel saves us, but not only does the gospel save us, but it's also it's the gospel that directs in our lives. It's not just the ABCs of the faith. It's the A to Z. We need the gospel every single day. So that's why you're going to hear us preach every single week from the Bible, and you're going to hear the gospel. You're going to hear the gospel. Because again, we understand that not everyone in here is a Christian. That's our desire. We hope that everyone who walks out those doors is a Christian by the end of this message. We also understand that the visible church, not everyone here, not everyone is here. That's a part of the visible church, right? We had some people, you know, that probably, they're not sleeping now, but they probably slept in and missed the 9 a.m. service. And maybe that was some of you, you guys missed the 9 a.m. service, and then you came here, which is great. We have some people that, that love the crossing, are part of this, this body, that are on vacation right now. And so they're not all here right now. So this is part of the visible church. And again, we also see also that uh, the church is not only invisible and visible, but the scriptures also inform us that the church is local and universal. It's local and universal. The crossing is a local expression of the church universal. We are a local expression. We have our mission statement. We have our values. We have our philosophy of ministry. I can take a baseball and hit E-Free Church from here, right? And they are another local expression of the church. I can probably take a baseball. I could probably hit, maybe hit, if I get a good crow hop, I could hit Calvary Chapel with the baseball too. They're another local expression of the church. What unites us is the gospel. What unites us is the fundamentals of the faith, that we believe that God's word is inerrant. That's infallible. We believe in the gospel. We believe in the Trinity. These are the fundamental faiths that unite us and Faithy Free and Calvary and other churches in here. Now, the reason why we're the crossing, the crossing is the crossing, the faith is faith, and the Calvary is Calvary, is because there are secondary issues that we might, that might think differently on. And that's okay. There might be philosophies on how we implement the doctrine. And that's okay. We're still on the same team. 
We're still fighting the same. We're still a local expression of a true Christian church. And God uses a variety to bring others to himself. I love how one puts it as talking about the local church. He says, in, in essentials, there is unity. In non-essentials, there is liberty. But in all things, there is charity. Love is what unites all of us in the gospel. So that's a local expression. But we also see, and we see Paul that writes the local expressions to the church. To the church of Philippi, he writes a letter. To the church of Ephesus, he writes a letter, right? Uh, to the church of Galatia, that's more of a regional area where there's like seven churches that he writes to. So he's writing letters to a local expression of God's church. But then there's also the church is universal. And what we mean by universal, it means it's global. It's bigger than just our local church. There's something bigger that we are a part of. It's global. It's universal. It's comprehensive. And the word church is used like I already quoted in Ephesians 5.25. Christ loved and died for the church. Now he writes this to, to the church of Ephesus, but he has a broader meaning in mind. Paul's saying, hey, not only did he die for you, but he died for all that named the name of Christ. He died for the church, universal. And then finally, we see that the nature of the church is described in a variety of ways. There's several different metaphors in which the church is described. As branches on a vine, John 15. The church is called the bride of Christ in 2 Corinthians. We're called a family in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And probably the two most popular is we're called a body, right? The church is a body, as we see in 1 Corinthians. Or the church is, a, is, is a, a, a flock of sheep with a great shepherd. These are other metaphors on, on how we see and view the nature of the church. So that's the first thing. The first thing is we see the nature of the church. The second thing we see is the marks of the church. Now, this is probably one of the, the most important things that we're going to talk about this morning is the nature, or the, I'm sorry, the marks of the church. What really makes a true Christian church? This answers the question, what makes up a true church, a true Christian church? What are the distinguishing marks and characteristics that separate the Christian church from a Mormon church or from the Jehovah's Witnesses or from the Muslim? What, what separates us as a true Christian church? What are the marks of a true Christian church? That if you're a church, if you're a Christian church, there are certain marks that mark us. That answer the question. These are distinguishing characteristics. And there are three. There are two primary and kind of a third one that I think is very, very functional. But before we get to that, the reason why we say true Christian church, and I'm using what is a true Christian church, because there are false churches out there. There are churches that are false churches out there. That they may talk about Jesus. They may talk about the Bible. They may talk about other things, the scriptures and other things. But they pour so many, they pour different meanings into those texts than what the Bible says. And in fact, Jesus confronts these churches in Revelation chapter 2 where he calls them synagogues of Satan. He calls them synagogues of Satan. Synagogue is just another word for gathering or assembly. And he calls them of Satan. So they're not a true church. And so a couple of those distinguishing factors that make a false church is they get the gospel wrong. That's number one. They get the gospel wrong. Remember, Paul even writes to the church of Galatia to challenge him. It's like, hey, are you believing in a different gospel? Because they were adding something to the true gospel. They were adding works. They were adding Jewish rituals for salvation. Where the gospel says, no, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And not by anything we can do. So the first mark of a false church is they preach a gospel of works righteousness. The second thing is a, is a pretty good characteristic of a false church is they don't believe in the infallibility and the errancy of God's word. They don't believe that this is God's word. They think it's just a good book written with some good principles about how to live life, but they reject it as God's inerrant word. 
And you can see this in the liberal, in the liberal circus prim- primarily. That, that when they look at culture, they take their lens of culture and they exegete or interpret the scriptures. So they fit the scriptures into their cultural, societal norm or hermeneutic. Where we, as a true Christian church, say, no, we take the scriptures and we look through the scriptures and exegete or interpret what's going on in our culture. You see the difference? And it's a massive difference. I mean, you just look at our world today on things like gender and sexuality and marriage. We have two different worldviews because we have two different views of Scripture. And so just because there's a church that says they're a church, they, they talk about Jesus and they talk about the Bible, there's false church and there's true church. So what marks the, the false church, let's see what marks a true church. The first thing that marks a true church is what we preach the gospel. We correctly interpret this, this word, the scriptures, and the gospel. That again, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That we believe this word is inerrant. That it is infallible. That this is God's very word given to us, breathed out. And if we, we, we teach it accurately and according to not what the culture dictates to us, but what God dictates to us in his word. So that's the first characteristic, is the pure preaching of the word. And even focus, we'll talk on this, is the gospel. The second, the second attribute of a true church is the administration of the sacraments. Baptism and the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, communion. Now, you can be a true church and baptize someone that gets sprinkled. That's okay. We believe in immersion or, or believer baptism, that you get dunked all the way. Just because we, we operate in different ways on how to uh, give out or uh, use the baptism, it, we're still the same church. So a Presbyterian church and a Baptist church are still two true, uh, true churches, even though the mode of baptism is a little bit different. So that's the second thing, the administration of the sacraments, baptism and communion. And the third pillar, which I would add and many other uh, theologians add, is leadership. Is leadership. This is kind of what separates us from the parachurch ministry, is that a church is, is governed by elders and deacons. There's a structure there. We're governed by elders and deacons. Where the parachurch doesn't have elders and deacons, they would have what we call missionaries. We, we, we look at the, 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 the parachurch as, as missionaries, those that are sent out from the church. So ministries like FCA and crew and navigators, etc. We, we have several uh, members of FCA that work here. Chris Jones who's sitting back here and, and, and Miley and some others. Is Miley here or is she in the first one? All right. But, the, but we see them as missionaries. So that's what kind of separates the church from a parachurch is, is leadership, uh, elders and deacons. And so the marks of a true church is first we preach the gospel. We preach God's word because we believe this is God's word. The second thing is we administer the, the, the sacraments, baptism and communion. And the third p- pillar is leadership, how we, how we live out in the philosophy of ministry. And we're going to dive deeper into each of these in the next four weeks. But let me just give you again another flyover of of one of them and that's the first one the pure preaching of the gospel that is central to any true christian church first timothy three fifteen, as i already read if i delay to you if i delay you may know how one ought to behave in the household of god which is the church of the living god a pillar and a buttress that word buttress means support or foundation of truth a true mark of a true christian church is we are defenders of the truth that we are, are built on the pillars and the, and the foundation of God's word, of his scriptures, and in particular, that of the gospel. And Paul, using this language, when he writes First Timothy, he's writing to the, 
to the city of the church of Ephesus. In Ephesus, they had this incredible um, temple called the Temple of Diana. It was an architectural masterpiece. This, this thing was massive and had hundreds of pillars and it was built on this solid foundation. It was just a solid structure. And so Paul is taking that metaphor and saying, hey, the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. This is what we guard. This is what a true church guards. It guards and preaches God's word faithfully. And again, the primary mark of a Christian church is they get the gospel right. They get the gospel right. And so we see that the Lord, a part of his ministry, when he first stepped on the scene and started his proclamation ministry, he preached the gospel. That's what was central in his message in preaching the gospel. In Mark 1, 14, one of his first messages, now after John was arrested, John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's how Jesus started his ministry. So if Jesus started his ministry focusing on preaching the gospel, a good good way for us to be the church is to preach the gospel. That should be foundational. But then he also finished his proclamation ministry with the proclamation of the gospel in Matthew 28, where he says this, go therefore and make disciples. Implicit in making disciples is evangelism, because you can't be a disciple of Jesus if you first don't believe in Jesus. So he ends his ministry with proclamation of the gospel. This is what the central thread of Jesus' proclamation ministry is which in turn should be the central thread of any true Christian church, is that we proclaim the gospel each and every time we get up here from this pulpit, from God's word. I love how one summed it up. He said this, to purely preach the gospel, the church must preach that sinners are justified by the free grace of God alone, which is received through faith alone, which itself is a gift of God, and that this faith is placed in and rests on nothing except Jesus Christ the righteousness and his righteousness. Churches must see to it, in other words, that the famous hymn, how the famous hymn puts it, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's what is the true mark of a true church as they proclaim the gospel. And so the question is for us is like, well, how, how, how do we, how do we, how did, how did the gospel get here in Fort Collins, Colorado? How did 2,000 years ago, Jesus comes on the scene, he dies, he raises again, then he sends out these 12 uh, disciples, or 11, then he adds one. How, how all of a sudden does the gospel, this little town in Jerusalem, how does it infect the whole world? How does the message 2,000 years ago get to Fort Collins, Colorado, May 2nd, 2021? It's because the church that was birthed kept the gospel at the forefront of their mission, and they proclaimed it in word and deed wherever they went, where they lived, worked, and played. The gospel is what they proclaimed. That was their message. That was their life. And faithful men and women, faithful members of the church, for years upon years upon years, faithfully proclaimed the word. So it just continued to multiply, 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 until it gets to us. And now we, now we are the ones that carry the baton of the message of the gospel to the next generation. Can you imagine like 2,000 years from now, if people look back and they say, hey, the church that gathered at 3601, that, that, that church preached the gospel. And because of them, we have hope. We have eternal life. See, the baton has been passed to us. 
And what, again, what marks a true Christian church is God's Word, and in particular, that God's Word is preached every single week. And the central message of God's Word is that of the Gospel that infects not only life, but also our doctrine. And so that leads us to the third and final point, the mission of the church. The mission of the church. This answers the question, what are we to do? Okay, we've been called by Jesus. We've, we've gathered. What's our mission? What's our purpose? Why are we still here on earth? Why didn't he just take us directly to heaven? Why are we still here? What is our purpose? What is our mission? And that's clearly articulated with two commandments in the New Testament. We know these. We call them G2. It's the great commandment and the great commission. This is my mission. This is your mission. Everyone who names the name of Christ and is a Christian, this is our mission. This is our purpose, why we are still here on in life. And we are to live out this mission, this purpose, in our different spheres of influence where we live, work, and play. First, the great commandment. We know this. It's in Mark uh, chapter 12 and Matthew 22, Luke chapter 10, repeated over in all the Gospels. Um, it says this in Mark chapter 12, 29. The most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. It's to love. And first and foremost, we love God. That's our vertical relationship. We love the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then that informs our vertical, I mean, our horizontal relationships of loving our neighbors. It's the love of God. And how do we most love God? How do we most worship God? Is we follow his commands, which leads to the next one, is we go, therefore, and make disciples. We go and proclaim the gospel, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These, are, these two commands are our mission. It's very clear for you and me. Why are we still here? We are here to live out these two commands on earth to love God, love our neighbor, and to go out and make disciples. And to break it down even a little bit further, it's this. We are to live out these commands in three relationships. We all have the same three relationships if we are a Christian. The first is, our again, our vertical relationship with God. We call that worship. We call that worship. We are to worship the Lord, first and foremost. Second, in our relationship with other believers, with our other believers. We, we call that discipleship. We are to gather in large group settings like this, in the smaller group settings, and we're to sharpen one another with God's Word, to be praying for one another. We're to be challenging one another. We're to be living life to one another, to help one another grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, to become more and more like Christ. We call that discipleship. And our third relationship is with those that don't know Jesus. And we call that evangelism. This is the mission of God. This is what it looks like to love God. We worship God first and foremost with, with everything we have. We make disciples and we evangelize those in our circles of influence, in our family members, with our co-workers, with our students that we sit next to every single day. Those that do not know Jesus, we have a relationship and our command is to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. How we say it here at the crossing is love, live legacy. Love is our worship to God. That's our relationship. That's our vertical relationship. Discipleship is our horizontal relationship to live in gospel community. And finally, legacy is what we do when we evangelize and we share the good news of Christ. These are the purposes of the church. This is your mission. This is my mission. This is what we are to be fulfilling as we follow the orders of King Jesus. And so let me just point out a couple real quickly um, how we experience the implications of this mission. 
how we experience us being on mission, this mission together. When you believe in the gospel, when you repent of your sins and you trust in Christ and what Jesus has accomplished for you, he now, you now become a part of the invisible church and now he's, he's, he wants to place you in the visible church. He wants to place you in a local expression of that church where you come together and gather with a multiple of other different believers where you guys can lock arms together. You can grow together. You can learn together. You can sharpen one another. And so not only are we saved from something, sin, death, and hell, but we're saved to something. We're saved to a mission that we're to do together, that we need one another. And we live out that mission in a local expression called the crossing church, if you call it your home. And so again, we're not only saved from something, but we're saved to something. We're saved to the mission of God to be done in the community of God. This is what community is. And we do that by walking in grace and truth. Second, we see, we understand that we need to live in community because if we live in isolation, one, we can't fulfill the mission of God and be effective because we need help. We need others that are get, have a different gift mix to us to help us ensure a, a successful mission. We need, we need people to help carry and bear the load of mission, but also we'll e- we're much easier to get picked off by the enemy when we're in isolation, to fall into sin, to be entrapped and to be taken out. This is why we are called to live in community. This is why God gathers us together as one body, as one family, in, a greater, in something greater than just ourselves. We need each other to strengthen one another, to encourage one another, to comfort one another, to bear one another's burdens, to love one another, to serve one another, to exhort one another, to warn one another. We need each other. We need the church. I need you and you need me. Another reason uh, we need the church is because we need, again, the diversity of different gift mix. We all have been given different gift mix to propel and move the mission forward. And we need each other to, to help us grow as worshipers, as disciplers, as evangelists, by, by sharpening one another with, with our different gift mix. Again, so we can be better Christians, we can be better spouses, we can be better siblings, we can be better parents, we can be better employees, employers, better friends, better family. We need one another to sharpen one another, to grow one another by using our gifts. And finally, the world needs us. The reason why, the reason why God doesn't take you immediately up to heaven after you repent of your sins and trust in Christ is because he has estranged family members that he needs to bring into the fold. And he uses you and he uses me. That world out there that is hostile to us, that's an enemy of God, God uses us as ambassadors to go and give them the message of the gospel where true life is, where true abundance is, where true joy is, where true peace is, where true assurance is. It lies with Jesus in the message of the gospel. So the world needs you. The world needs me. The world needs the church to be beacons of light in such a dark, dark place. I mean, who likes turning on the news and watching the news? It's just a constant battle of evil and wickedness left and right. Man's pride, men's desire, and women's desire for power, for control, right? Murder, rape. I mean, you see, it's just, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a sad world apart from Christ. The world needs the church. So let me lead you with this charge. Romans 10, 9 says this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
How beautiful are the feet of the church. How beautiful are the feet of you and me. When we've been changed by the gospel and now we're worshiping the Lord vertically, he gives us a new mission to live out horizontally where we live, work, and play. And we are the ones that's going to take the good news of the gospel to a broken and and a world that's suffering. That's what we're going to talk about the next four weeks on how to execute this mission at a deeper and a more refined level. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just this overview of what the church is. And yes, it's, 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 we're reminded of some things. We know these things, but Lord, it's just, it's just, it's just a good reminder. It's good. If we want to, if we want to be the church, we must master the fundamentals. And first and foremost, that means that first and foremost, we must hear the gospel, repent of our sins and trust in you. And as we do that, you bring us into a community to, to grow together, to learn together, to sharpen one another. And then you send us out to a world that's hurting with the life giving message of Jesus, to be your ambassadors, to be on mission with the gospel. Lord, our desire here at the cross is to be a true, is to be a true church, that we proclaim the excellencies of your word, that we are not ashamed of the gospel because we understand it's the, the power of God unto salvation. We understand that if we want to grow in godliness, that we need to teach every book of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. We need to be captivated by your word, empowered by your spirit. And Lord, again, we, we, we just thank you that we get to do this together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.